This was started by our CEO who working on a PhD project and wanted to do something with data, et cetera. Couldn't figure out how to do what he needed to do. So he wrote a program essentially to help put it all together and realized that getting this product to market was probably going to be more profitable than his PhD. And the guy's, you know, he's a freaking genius. He's extremely smart and he's the CEO of the company. He can still open up the hood and go and do stuff. That's how it came about. In this episode, I'm talking to Doug Kimball, CMO of Ontotech. The company provides database tech to help companies aggregate and analyze their data using knowledge graphs. Some of their clients include Fujitsu, BBC, and the Financial Times. We'll talk about their top five marketing channels, how much they spend in each one of these channels, and how they're averaging 300 to 400 leads per month with their inbound marketing efforts. We'll also try to figure out things like their revenue, their CAC, cost per acquisition, and LTV, lifetime value of a customer, and details of their past fundraising efforts. And if you can't answer a question, we both have to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, we got Doug Kimball. He's currently the, the CMO of a company called Ontotext, which basically provides database tech to connect data in the form of a knowledge graph. And if you're like me, you might have no idea what a knowledge graph is, but no worries. Doug is going to come. He's going to save the day. He's going to tell us everything about his company and how they grew, how they raised a bunch of money, which we, we, we might, I mean... We'll talk about we'll talk about all the details behind it. Uh, but first, Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's nice to be on Mars. It's a, it's a it's a very kind of location. I feel weightless. It's nice. No, seriously, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one thing we cannot do Mars is jujitsu, which I believe you, you did some jujitsu growing up, right? Uh, I've done a, I've done a few. I've still I've done jujitsu almost the last uh, probably 16 years now. Got my black belt uh, about two years ago. Uh, continue to teach wow. the last seven or eight years, and I love it. Uh, trying to do it on Mars would be very difficult, that's for sure. But it's, it's, <laughs> so, it's a passion and a hobby. So are, do you watch UFC, like the ultimate fight, fighter that's champion? What, Is that like something? Many people got me, actually steered me away from it for a while because I did stand-up martial arts for about 25 years. I was decent standing up, and then I saw this ground stuff. I'm like, I I'm not sure if I can do that. Not and so I was scared. I finally got into it, but... Yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of UFC, UFC in my time. I'm actually going to a live jiu-jitsu event in two days here in Oklahoma City. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, like, I mean, we can nerd, nerd out about it because I'm also a UFC fan. Do you watch, you also watch the one championships? Yeah. Yep. And yeah. If you, if heard, you like that one better? I don't know. It's different type of competition, different type of rules, different type of approach to things. Uh, but if you've heard of the who's number one, that's the event that I'm going to go to this, uh, mm. is actually Wednesday or Thursday, I've lost track Thursday, but it's not, yeah. it's, not, well, it's, not it's not mixed martial arts. It's just jujitsu. But yeah, I mean, I love watching all of it. It's just fun when you get a good match going back and forth, especially when it's like a good back and forth, not just a one-sided beat down. Those get kind of boring. Yeah. 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 Well, we, if we ever did a marking on Mars, Jiu-Jitsu Championship. I think you might come up. You you, you might come first. Okay. Uh, my money's on you. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Before we begin, there's a little bit of a tradition that I told you. We always start off the show with a shot of hot sauce. Yes. And and throughout the show, we're gonna talk. We're gonna dive into onto text. We're gonna try to figure out how you guys grew, and I'll ask you a bunch of questions. And at any point you cannot answer a question, lights will go off. I think the lights are off kind of in the background there a little bit ish. Yeah. You can kind of see it. And that means we're taking another shot of hot sauce. So before we begin, what weapon of choice have you brought on the show today? I reluctantly grabbed the only thing I have in my fridge, a scotch bonnet pepper hot sauce. Oh, uh, if I have more than probably five wrong, okay. answers, I may just be running out of here screaming. <laughs> or you might start doing some like groundwork, like roll over to the, to the washroom. Yeah. Um, I got, uh, I ran out of my last hot sauce. I only have Carolina Reaper. I hope you can answer everything, Doug, yeah. please. It can be please good answer now. everything. Yeah. It will be good for, I mean, or not good. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start off with a little dab. Yeah. I'm going to start really light. Yeah, this, 
Oh god. Maybe I didn't do it light. Bottoms up. Maybe that's enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I should have had uh, milk candy instead of a glass of uh, soda. <laughs> yeah. I might have to um, grab some soda in a little bit, but. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Before we begin, I'm going to stop talking. Um, explain in a few sentences what exactly OnToText do does. Sure. What problem are you guys solving and how do you guys make money? Yeah, that's always a good question. I think it's the easiest answer sometimes is to first describe what it is that we do. And if any of the viewers have used a small tool called Google, or if they've taken a ride on Uber, if they've used IMDB to look up movie stuff, <clears throat> what you're doing behind the scenes is called a knowledge graph. So a knowledge graph is not a relational database. It's more of a, it's a graph database. And so graph databases work the way our brains work. Uh, if I asked you, you know, hey, tell me where, you know, Ontario is. Well, there's Ontario, and you'll, you immediately know Ontario as Canada. There's also the Ontario Airport in California. So you make these connections like that automatically because you can apply the context for your brain. That's how a knowledge graph basically brings together different kinds of information, whether it's structured data, unstructured data like text or video or things like that. Um, it brings it all together. And because of the system we use, it can have reasoning. So now you go through, you put your knowledge on top of your knowledge graph, and it can actually make connections between data. Like I said, if you use the Ontario example, you might think Ontario Airport. You might think Ontario this, that. You create those connections in your head, but a knowledge graph can do much the same because of the way it builds those connections between data points. So um, what it's used for, there's a whole bunch of use cases. I mean, it, it truly is, I guess, ag like company agnostic. I mean, knowledge graphs can be used for recommender engines. They can be used for uh, search bots. If you've been looking into generative AI or large language models or chat GPT, AI, ML, yeah. all those things should be powered by a knowledge graph because it has all those data points underneath it and connects that. And so you can train uh, your AI tools to actually be really useful. Um, we do it for target discovery for um, like life sciences companies. We do it for fraud detection for financial services. There's a, a ton of use cases. But I'm going to pause and hopefully now that you've got your breath back after a bit of hot sauce there. I might still can't talk. I was I was hoping you'd be talking for another 10 minutes, <laughs> to be honest. That is so spicy. Oh, my God. This is yeah. um, Rude Boy from Seattle. I got it on a trip to Seattle. That is... It's... Carolina Reaper and Scotch Bennett. Boom. So it has some of your stuff. Yeah. But then it's mostly Carolina Reaper. Yeah, I'm still feeling the this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of use cases. Yeah. Industry agnostic. Give us a sense of what kind of companies you work for. So who would be some of the larger clients or partners that you I mean, if you, you know, if you, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, been our customer for, I want to say it's either 12 or 13 years. They've been around doing, using us for quite a long time. Um, wow. Companies like Children's Hospital in Chicago, um, Kenya, uh, JP Morgan, places like that, UBS. A couple I can't name and name names on, but a major German manufacturer of automobiles. Um, you know, a wide variety of customers. So, um, what they use this for is so different among what they what they do as well. I mean, it's not, it's not a case of everybody uses this for the same kind of a thing. Uh, knowledge, just knowledge management is a huge opportunity with these graphs because you know, when you imagine trying to search for information that you use Google, just as an easy example, imagine taking that on steroids and being able to find it not just in one place but connected everywhere and then applying context on top of that so it becomes even smarter. Um, it's, you know, it's, I've been in data management for a few years. This is taking it to a whole other level. Sorry, go ahead. So is it kind of like building your own internal Google where you can search things up internally or is it more than that? It, 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 it is. And it can be much more than that as well. Cause you imagine having multiple internal Googles. Um, yeah. can we look at it? What a company tries to do with their own data, you know, it's great as long as they know where all their data is, they can find it, they can access it and they can share it and have the same language. But, 
you know, you have a merger and acquisition, or if you're doing things like with um, IoT, so you get different sensors and devices that need to be connected from manufacturers. Well, they're all using different languages, but if you can bring that together and have, you know, and what they call an ontology, which is a, a layer of knowledge on top of it, now you can actually share information and not have a bunch of people running around. It's like the power of Babel. You got, you know, 100 people speaking 100 different languages, you can't really communicate. But if you can get information mm. to be properly explained and shared and found, now you're getting more value for the data that you have. I mean, one of the biggest terms I, I use a lot is making data reusable. Because mm. it's great that you can run a report to get this information, but if I can only do it for that particular project, you know, not so useful. But if I can now make that data available to that person, that system, that device, that person who wants to run analytics, now you've got more data being, all that data we collected being more valuable, being used in more places. Hmm. Um, how, so you guys have been around for some time now. Yeah. Um, and you have, you're working with some big companies. I'm scared to ask this next question, but um, how much are you guys making in terms of revenue? Give us a sense of how large your, your company is at, even like a range. Yeah, I, I can say both of our tongues. It's about ten million ARR. So we're we're uh, you know, we, we 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 made our number last year, which was nice for breaking year. I think we're well on our way for this number this year, but we're about you know between ten to eleven million ARR. So not bad uh, as far as you know. Okay. That's, then that's euros by euros versus dollars. Oh, that's uh, eleven million euros. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that would be roughly thirteen yeah, million is, USD. Yeah. Conversions are about right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. This time next week I'll be in London. I better get my conversion right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you guys did this all without raising anything, or did you guys raise any no, money? No, no. No. No raising. It all. It all. So just the the quick history. I mean, this this was started by our CEO, who the you know, the short version is he was working on a PhD project and wanted to do something with data, et cetera. Couldn't figure out how to do what he needed to do. So he wrote a program essentially to help put it all together and realized that getting this product to market was probably gonna be more profitable than his PhD. And the guy's, you know, he's a freaking genius. He's extremely smart mm. and he's the CEO of the company. And you know, he, he can still open up the hood and go and, and do stuff, but that's how it came mm. about. Mm. I have a couple of VC friends that invest just in PhD projects. Um, so, I mean, would, would love to hear more about your, your, you know, this project and, and dive into a little bit more. Um, and uh, maybe we should, we'll connect uh, uh, yeah. after the yeah. podcast. Well, what's interesting but, is um, about a million or so ish of our, in, our revenue comes from academic projects. So a lot of it comes from mm. clients. The, the larger portion comes from clients who pay us money to do things for them. But right. a lot of it, I'm sorry, a, small, a portion, excuse me, a small portion comes from academic research projects. So this is very much used by academics a lot of times too. So it's, it's kind of neat yeah. that, you know, we make money just because people want to be smarter. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's dive in a little bit about uh, marketing. Yeah. You know, as a CMO, you're, you own the budget. So let's dive into a little bit where you guys spend money on what works right now for you guys. Uh, so about $13 million USD in revenue. Yeah. How much of that is put into marketing per year? Do you have a annual or monthly marketing I got budget? I annual about 1.1. So they gave me a, a pretty substantial budget for the year, which was awesome. I mean, maybe almost, almost yeah. doubled the budget uh, from the previous year. So that, uh, yeah. you know, that made me feel good coming on board for that. Yeah. For sure, um, I mean, and and for for you, you've been you've been at Ontax not not too long. It's only been November, so know. it's all been seven yeah seven months and some change. And it uh, it's been all yeah we've we've done a lot in just the last six to seven months. I mean, I've got a I got a most of my team is based in Bulgaria, so the company is is a Bulgarian owned and developed company. Um, they're based sorry based company excuse me, but uh, ironically they have no clients in Bulgaria. They have a lot of ton of clients in in you know the Europe the Europe. They have a ton of clients in the United States. We've got a couple in Asia Pacific, a couple in Australia. Um, but it you know truly a global company, but it's based mm. in Bulgaria. So I've got six team marketing people based in Bulgaria. Um, I can say one and a half here in the states because I've got a person who's in kind of in a contract situation. Uh, but you know, eight months ago there was nobody. Yes, nine months ago there was nobody 
in the states working for Ontotex. So we've we've wow. added a lot of people, a lot of effort, a lot of emphasis to build out the North American team, and you know, seeing a lot of really good results for it. Wow. So one point one million dollars annually is your marketing budget. Yep. Give us a breakdown. Where are you spending your money right now? No is surprise. It SEO, PPC, events, whatever. Like, give us a breakdown. No surprise. Events accommodates or takes up maybe almost half of it. Um, I'm a big fan of events. Uh, when events are done right, I think they can be extremely powerful for not just lead generation, which is obviously the key focus, but awareness. Uh, and onto text, mm-hmm. you know, we're you know, it's a smaller company. We're not as well known as people who have you know ten times the size. If you know knowledge graphs and graph databases, you're likely to know odds of text. But I don't want to talk to what I call the echo chamber. I want to talk to people who don't know us, who are in the enterprise world, who want to think bigger. So to me, events done right are awareness, brand, you know, brand awareness, gener- marketing, you know, brand generation, but it should be lead generation. And I'm pushing a lot towards thought leadership. Like I'm, I spoke at the Gardner conference uh, in Orlando a couple months ago. I'll be in um, the conference in London shortly and doing a talk. And it's not that I'm smart, but it's just sharing thought leadership to make people go, oh, that's cool, onto text. So that's how I look at events. Um, the rest of it, <laughs> broken down, you know, so events being a lot, you know, I'd say close to half of it. Um, digital marketing is probably about, you know, a fifth of, fifth of the remaining part of the budget because digital marketing is such an important part. We've got a great marketing director who, he lives Google Analytics, and the guy is a whiz at digging into it and doing the analytics and tweaking things. Um, you know, he loves that website and LinkedIn and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. well, that's a big piece of it. Uh, content marketing. I'm again a huge fan of content marketing because people want to learn. You need to educate them. You know, as well as I do, the buyer's journey uh, is you know seven, eight, ten, twelve pieces of touch during the whole process and. The right, right content can you know, definitely help them make a difference. So probably, you know, another, eh, you know, my, my, my fraction is going to be all off when I'm done with this. So I'm going to have to make some of the numbers up a bit. Um, but maybe, you know, an eighth of, the, eighth of the overall budget goes against content. And then you've got different pieces from there. Everything from, like I started, I, I initiated a win-loss program because I've used a win-loss, win-loss providers in my last uh, three jobs, actually. Uh, and I find those to be extremely powerful. So I spent it a spend on that because, me gather that kind of insights is extremely important. Um, trailing we got events. You got events. That's about fifty percent. Yeah. You got digital marketing. That's about maybe ten percent. Twenty percent. Yeah, like closer to twenty percent. Yeah. Yeah, and then content marketing is about fifteen percent. I can't tell me content marketing is probably around ten ish. Ten. About yeah. Ten. Okay. We, we got contracts we work with. Yeah, and then so you got the remaining twenty percent. Where, where do you think that's going? Yeah, um, it goes across a variety of things. Everything from, um, you know, obviously like things like print media, things we do do around that. I've got a press agency that I'm working with. It's a bit of a spend there. Um, okay. You know, merchandise. You know, it kind of tr- trickles off into some of the smaller things like merchandise. And well, the press agency is one who I think so far they've been very happy with. They've been doing a great job getting us you know, a lot of exposure. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just miscellaneous things from there, everything from, like I said, I mentioned the win-loss program. Um, yeah. We did a um, uh, kind of an incentive, incentive mailing thing where, you know, you may have gotten these before, you know, uh, you know, hey, if you, you know, if you take my poll, you, you give me, you know, take my call, I'll give you a $10 gift certificate to Starbucks or a $20, you know, card to, you know, Starbucks, you know, whatever. We did. We I bought into that. Just thought I'd try it, um, and I get a lot of people reaching out for you know solicitations. The style in which they used it actually it caught my attention, and it worked. So I'm like, well, let's try this. We've had some decent engagement, but I think we're still feeling our way through how to best use it. But yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's dive into a couple of these channels. It sounds like events is what's driving majority of your revenue and your growth. And then digital and content, that's yeah. like another 30%. So these are your one and two largest uh, channels. Probably let's talk about events first. Yeah. Let's talk about events, uh, ABM, number one. Sorry. I should have mentioned ABM, Tarby. Oh, it's got a piece of ABM in there too. Sorry. Oh, ABM. Yeah. So w- like how would the, how would this percentage? Uh, not, so not events is number one? Uh, events so, number one. Um, 
I'd say ABM is probably number three in that. So digital marketing and ABM, you can kind of lump those sometimes, not necessarily, but okay. you, you can lump because it's channel outreach. Um, yeah. So ABM okay. content though. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I'll, I'll just throw that in there. Yeah. Let's start with events. Yeah. What is your event strategy? What do you guys, where does all, so 50% of your, of your budget, that's like almost, you know, 500 K or, or more per year. Yeah. Where does it go towards? Like what's your strategy with events? I think the, the largest bulk of it goes to the analyst, the analyst type events, which unfortunately are quite expensive to go to. Um, so my strategy, when I look at events, like I said, it, it's, it's awareness and lead generation. Uh, it's trying to be where the most type of buyers that we want to talk to and the people we want to influence are going to be. Uh, and especially in the data space, I mean, you know, there's data events popping up left and right. So it's hard. It's, it's a case of if I had unloaded budget, we'd be in an event every week, which I don't want to do because I'd go crazy. Uh, but truly it's around, you know, who are the, who are the, um, the people we want to talk to, the personas we want to engage with, you know, you get your, you know, your data, your CDO types and your architect types, but also mm -hmm. I'm increasingly pushing towards business leaders, uh, the C-levels, the, the CDOs who need to be able to explain to the CEO or the procurement people, here's why we need to spend on this data project. And they don't always care as much about the techie stuff as they do the business why. So looking at those from an audience standpoint, uh, and then that's, that's the, you know, the big picture, but then you have some vertical events. You know, there's financial services events, life sciences events. Uh, I'm pushing us to get into retail and consumer packaged good events. So going to events where we have a, a very clear uh, use case and value proposition to say, you know, people like you, we've done this, 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 and this. And so we have, went to an event uh, about a month ago in Chicago that was just outstanding from a lead generation standpoint. We had people, even as a small booth without much advertising, in a huge hall in, in Chicago coming over to see this. There was, 40,000 people and we have people coming down and tracking us down in this massive event. So that was, that was pretty cool. So yeah, targeted, you know, targeted from a um, vertical standpoint, but then sometimes targeted by, um, I'll just, you know, call it specific. There, there was a, a knowledge graph conference uh, last week. And of course it's like, that's all about knowledge graph. So we went specifically to do that. We had a couple of talks. So, you know, the, the, the big pictures, the analyst type ones, the uh, focus ones and the verticals, and then, you know, specifically in our space, whether it's semantic technology or knowledge graphs or things like that, um, focusing on that. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, we've, uh, I'll be honest, we, we get a lot of CMOs on our show and CEOs on our show and the, 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 I, I don't know the exact number, but probably 80 or 90% uh, are saying that big events are not working for them because it's it's hard to it's hard to stand out from the noise right sponsorships are expensive uh sales cycles are so long so you're not really seeing any return money is tight right now so people are saying smaller events and more niche events are better than large events but you guys are finding you guys yeah. are finding success with large events um Let's define large events. So there's two ways you can define a large event. One is large as in dollar. One is large as in physical size. Physical so, size. Yeah. Physical like when you get up, when you get to the 2000, when you yeah. get to the 2000 plus attendees, it's hard to stand out from the noise. Right. And you're, you're talking about 40,000. That's like yeah. ultra, that's this ultra large. Is a McCormick Center in Chicago. If you have any listeners have been there, they know how huge it could be. I mean, I've been there several yeah. times for previous events and I mean, it was, it was a low spend. It was, it was a very low spend for what we did. I mean, we, we had a small little bitty booth. Where we were, we were got this small area and I was, I was blown away. And by con comparison, we'd gone to the Gartner conference, the, the data analytics conference, which is you know, a big conference. Uh, it was 6,000 people and mm -hmm. we got leads and we had conversations, but they were okay. And to your point, this is where you're right. And I, and your previous audiences have not been inaccurate. It is a challenge. And I'm a, to me, events should be a good, good opportunity if we do everything right. Now that means we might do everything right though. And people never call you back. It's like, yeah. And so I, I'm having this justification that my, my CEO about this and here was helping is we went with just to give a quick example. We went to a big conference in 
August last year before I was on board. And I think there were six good leads that came in. They said, and then they went dead. They went quiet. And so the CEO was like, ah, oh, this is terrible, which I understand. But all of a sudden in January, now the new year started, we get this call from one of our clients are actually based in Canada. Um, my boss is on his way to Canada right now. And it could be a huge opportunity, like in you know, the three to $400,000 range if all <laughs> continues to go well in things. So we've gone from being dead quiet and we're like, oh, this conference sucked, to we may get a very major sale with some additional branches over the next you know, several months. So you, you never know. The cycles, the cycles can be terrible. Hmm. Wow. And um, how much did you guys spend on that event? Just for About perspective. 45, I think it was. 45,000? Yeah. 4,500. 45,000. 45,000. Okay. So you guys spent 45,000. And what was your strategy going in? Like what you guys had a booth. Did you guys do anything unique there to stand out and what, and that's the reason why everyone flocked over or it was just no, like a typical, we, 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 have a booth. It was before I was here. So it was in my, my, my boss, the chief commercial officer, he'd been on board maybe two weeks. So it was truly a case of the CEO and the CTO over there. They carried the conversations, but we didn't, we didn't do anything that stood out. Um, so when we went to the event, the same event this year in, in Florida, um, we did a talking, I did a talking event. So I, you know, I made publicity around that. We did a ton of marketing before I used LinkedIn. So my strategy again is you don't just show up, put up and throw up. You plan and you make noise about it beforehand. You reach out to your contacts, you're making noise. Uh, I reached out to potential partners before the event saying, Hey, I'd love to meet with you. Um, it's, it's, you got to beat the feet on the street before you get there not just show up and pick up some pens and a you know, couple of stuffed animals. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So, so events are working, which makes sense. If you get even just one customer out yep. of, so it's about 40K per event. Let's say you go to, let's go, let's say you go to seven events yep. in a year or over the course of two years or whatever, and you just get one customer that will pay for, all of the seven events right and yeah. more right yeah. so because your ltv so, so your average contract value or, or is, is three hundred thousand? you said uh, no our average contract value is probably closer to the one 100 to 150. um okay we do some smaller ones we've done some bigger ones i put us more i don't we don't charge enough in my mind i put us more than 100 to 150. okay okay um that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So events, and do you guys do a lot of some of the smaller, more niche type events? So we were just, we just had, we just had stack overflow on the show and they have, um, they have paused a lot of their big events. Uh, like what we were talking about all the 40 K 50 K that's large. Rather they made their own events. They curated their own list and they brought people that they wanted to speak to in a room and they, they made an event around that. That seems to be more popular now nowadays. Better bang for your buck. You run the show. It might cost you t 10k out of pocket or 20k out of pocket, but you get to throw an event that you want and the people right. that you want in the room, kind of thing. Um, that are you guys? Did you guys do any of that stuff, or is that anything that's that's in the radar? They did last year before I was on board. They did, they did a virtual and an in person one, and I think the results were mixed. Um, I have done those. I've been part of those in my previous company uh, where we had some, you know, bespoke events and they went, you know, pretty, pretty well. Um, we talked about doing one in person this year. We decided to go virtual. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of virtual, although the spend, the spend is much, much, much better. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I do like, and that's I'm actually flying out tomorrow morning to go to Chicago to go to one of those events you talked about where it's just a smaller event, very, you know, very customized. We, you know, we've got eight guaranteed meetings, but well, I actually have about 13 now total. Um, yeah. Guaranteed, it's just, it's just a small room and you know it's a speed dating thing. Um, and to be honest, going back to my event strategy, some of what I'm doing is a bit of a shotgun approach. You know, let's mm -hmm. try the big ones, let's try the small ones, let's try the medium ones, right. because it's a newer, it's a newer space for me. And I think based on my data management experience, this has worked, this has worked, this has worked okay. Let's try it differently here. So some of it's a very targeted, very, you know, very narrow focus. Let's go after that. Sometimes it's like, well, we're gonna try that, we're gonna try that. Not not randomly, obviously, but based on you know, knowledge and experience of the industry and knowledge and experience of how these things should be done. Some of it's in that fashion. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um uh, now digital marketing. 
what is working for you guys? What trends are you seeing in digital marketing uh, in your industry? We're seeing a slowdown in April. Actually, it was weird. We're looking at the the stats, and I mean, yeah. I love to talk. I love to talk to people on our competitors. See if the same thing, but we're looking at leads and the, the overall leads. All of a sudden, like April, just like in, in across across the board, not tanked, but just dropped. It was really strange. Mm-hmm. And so, we're, my my marketing yeah. director is digging into that to see. You know, did the Google algorithms change? Is, you know, what's going on behind this? Did we miss something, et cetera? You know, there's theories, whether it's just market turndown in general. Um, but what's working for us is, you know, the, the, you know he, he does a very good job of looking at the search terms, analyzing that, looking at our competitor search activity, <clears throat> what's working for them. Um, he, he truly keeps his, his finger on the pulse of what's going on out there and then try to tweak and, and maximize we're talking to a, a third-party um, website personalization provider just to kind of exploring what they might be able to do for us. I haven't made a decision if I want to go that route or not. Um, but also one of the things I brought because of my data management background is here's search terms we are not using that we should because they are hot. Even if a knowledge graph doesn't exactly – not you don't buy this to do that, but without a knowledge graph, you can't do this. So that kind mm-hmm. of a mindset, like you yeah. know, data mesh and data fabrics, all those hot terms out there, um, you know, you can't do those properly without what it, we have. So we, we incorporated some new, uh, you know, meta you know, meta terms into things to help catch more interest. That seems like it's driven some more traffic as well. And I'm a big, I think you've seen, you've, you've liked a few of my posts. I'm a big proponent of LinkedIn. Um, oh yeah. The one uh, chest beating I will give is when I joined, we had about. Yeah, 4,800 uh, LinkedIn followers. And I looked at our closest competitor and they were just edging to 5,000. And I said, no, we're going to pass them. And we passed them and we're growing our audience. We're growing our audience almost by a thousand followers in the last five months. So, uh, which, you know, wow. I've seen people do much more than that. I've seen people do less than that. For me, I'm happy because I'm really driving this, you know, this drumbeat of let's, let's grow our followers because I think that LinkedIn is a great way to do that. I mean, you and I met through LinkedIn, so you never know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, that seems to be the trend as well. I mean, SEO is great. Right now it's getting harder and harder and harder to uh, outrank. And if, if you're, if you're the newer player uh, yeah. in, in the, in the scene, and especially with AI and, and all the content that's that's being pumped out, I think there's a huge thing right now. And I think Google is trying to combat it. And maybe that's, to your point, the algorithm changes. There might be something going on in the background. I've heard the same thing happen. Um, I've heard a lot of uh, you know my friends and people on the, on the podcast talk about this as well, of, of uh, SEO traffic either working in their favor. There's just been a lot of changes happening with, hey. with even SEO. Um, and so like, I think the, I think this trend has already been happening where Google SEO is moving more towards user experience mm-hmm. more than just the text and the meta, like the meta tags and all that stuff, that stuff, once you make a tweak, it used to help right away. You used to right. see like instant in the next couple of months, you'd see changes right away. But I think it's moving more towards a lot of other factors around user experience, page speed. Um, yeah. That stuff seems to be increasingly more important than just whatever you're talking about. Um, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn is ever, LinkedIn is like this, this massive opportunity and everyone is jumping on it. You've seen it the last two, three months, everybody yeah. is posting on LinkedIn. Every, every C-suite, every founder is now <laughs> jumping on and they're becoming thought leaders. Like that's yeah. just, that's what's happening. We can dive into LinkedIn a little bit more as well, but, um, but yeah, hundred percent. I think, I think going down that route might be, a good way to establish um, authority. That's all it is, right? It's about authority. Yeah, authority it's about yeah. it's about com- it's about community. It's about starting conversations like this that you would have never had had you just thrown an ad up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not against ads. I think ads are great um, right. for some companies that have good branding. Um, but um, yeah, so that's cool. And then what about? Oh, by the way, so Twitter for me. What's your take on Twitter from a channel perspective? Oh my God. Uh, like, first of all, I don't use Twitter, so yeah. I can't say from firsthand experience, but a lot of people that I'm talking to that are very active on LinkedIn as well, uh, about half of them are still active on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter. So they're doing both. And I asked them the same question and they're saying 
LinkedIn. I'm shifting all my efforts towards LinkedIn because it seems to be more, um, I don't even know what the word is. Seems to be less bot activity happening on yeah. LinkedIn versus Twitter. So the, a lot of the engagements and the conversations you're having are more real. Um, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And it seems, and overall people on LinkedIn are nicer overall. Yeah. True. And then Twitter's good Twitter's just a, yeah, I'll tell you your opinions. And the reason I asked that is that we did some analysis and, um, Twitter are like people going to our website from Twitter was a little higher, a higher percentage of people going from a, a Twitter post to our website than it was for LinkedIn. Although if you came from LinkedIn to our website, you stayed longer, you had less page bounds, you know, the dwell time was better. But at least it was an interesting, I, I, I haven't, I just got back onto Twitter. I was off for a year. I, you know, I would post once or twice a year. But as you know, mm -hmm. CMO, like, well, I guess I probably should get out there and occasionally try to be smart and say something Twitter-ish. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten back on there. I have to remind my, I'm on LinkedIn every day. Twitter, I'm like, oh, go do a, a wise. Oh, yeah, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of curious. I, th I, th I think uh, LinkedIn is better for a community mm -hmm. right now. I agree. Uh, I don't know if you're seeing this. Like, I, I've actually started building a lot of communities around LinkedIn, and I th think you've seen some of my stuff, but... Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I I'm a huge uh, LinkedIn lover right now. So, um, yeah, ABM, yeah, AB, ABM. How, how's ABM doing for you? What's your strategy? How's that working for you? It's funny. I, it, I've not been a fan of, I, of IBM. ABM. Um, sorry, ABM. Sorry, IBM. <laughs> sorry, IBM. No trademarks for harm to the filming of this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I started working in my last role, my last company, and just never saw and never heard as much results as you might think you would get from it. Um, that said, you know, our strategy again, it, you know, it, it's primarily, it's it's mainly industry focused, you know, and targeting people. You know, we, we use intent data to go after people. Um, you know, and we like we have campaigns by salespeople, campaigns by region. Um, you know, targeted messaging, and I helped to tweak some of the messaging, the positioning for those. We've seen okay results. I haven't seen anything that makes me go, "Wow, this campaign was amazing." Um, but again, you have to define what success is going to look like. And we've only really gotten into ABM in the last six to seven months. So there's things there. There's learnings and transition and getting the name out there and. All those things. We've got new salespeople coming on board, so we're, we're tweaking the changes there. So, I don't want to fault ABM. I think it's just a learning process. But, but sometimes you see a campaign come back, and you see, hey, we spent X dollars, we got goose egg leads. Like, uh, mm -hmm. not very exciting. So, um, I think the idea behind it, especially with the intent data, is pretty cool. Um, you know, and so to your point, going back to LinkedIn and the community, I'm not going up to a community of 100,000 people are going, hey, buy my stuff. I'm like, I'm talking to people who have expressed interest or, you know, I'm going after specific people with specific messages. That's more appealing. You know, it's 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 not mass. It's less than mass mail. But maybe they're not mutually exclusive as well. Maybe you do them both at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll give you a story. When I first started my podcast, not a lot of people said yes to the podcast. Um I think it was like my success rate, my call booked rate from, from initial message was like 10%. So like mm. one in 10 would say yes. And the other nine would either be like screw off or, or like, uh, or ignore. Right. Mm. Cause I wasn't posting a lot on my LinkedIn. As I started posting more and I started building an authority, my post now regularly on LinkedIn, I've been very active on LinkedIn for mm. the last six months and it has grown I've grown from, I have about 16,000 followers now on LinkedIn and nice. each of my posts probably get around 10, eight to 12,000, uh, impressions per post. That's good. Now my success rate for initial message to booked calls is, uh, like five out of 10. It's like 50%, uh, acceptance rate mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. The, the companies that are coming on are getting larger too. So we're getting companies that are like $300 million. Not to say that your company is not doing amazing yeah. stuff. There's yeah. a lot of companies doing amazing stuff yeah. that are making 10 million, yeah. 50 million. But for an enterprise to start saying yes to us, we would have never had that in the first 10 episodes. Right. But, but LinkedIn authority matters a lot because your LinkedIn, your LinkedIn profile is your personal brand. 
Mm-hmm. If you're reaching out, if you're reaching out and you're asking for someone's time, especially in the enterprise level, branding is way more important, right? It's way harder to get the door open. So personal <laughs> brand on LinkedIn is just so important. Yeah. So it's good that you, I think I think you have the right uh, strategies and the right approaches. Yeah. And yeah, I was excited to have round excited to have round two where we can actually dive in and see how things are going in, in, in a few months. Yeah. That'll um, be good. With you guys. Yeah. Um what's your you're doing a bunch right now. Do you guys track your blended CPA? Like how much it costs to acquire a customer? <laughs> oh no. Sorry. We were we had 40 minutes, Doug. We it was 40. Um, yes. We were we doing do so good. It. Yes, we do track it. I have no <laughs> idea what it is. No. Sorry. All right. All right. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, oh good. God. I am really nervous about this. I'm going to go way less this time. Yeah, I'm, I, I dropped a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Why did I say yes? Oh God. I got like a seed. I got a seed. Oh, don't choose the seeds. Oh, money does. My face is red. Holy smokes. Ooh. You can tell his metabolism's out here. <sighs> okay. Oh, man. I should have had like some saltines handy or something. Yeah. All right. So we can talk about CPA. Yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> we uh, risk. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you can't talk about CPA. Can you tell us? I have an idea of what the answer would be, but what's your best performing channel? You mentioned a few. Yeah. Events, digital marketing. So like some ads, ABM, content yeah. marketing. What what do you, which channel do you think is your best from a CPA perspective? I would say content, to be honest, because we have and it's been kind of cool as I as I've been here and I started to dig into things. Seeing how much really good content we have, and my cat is not invited. How much content we <laughs> really have, so good. Uh, we've got a good buyer's journey plan set up, and we're continuing to revise our content strategy. But we get a lot of inbound leads based on our con- based on our content, everything uh, from whether it's a, a survey we did or a white paper or uh, trainings we do, workshops, things like that. Uh, and I work with a couple of external content writers who put together some really good stuff. Uh, content seems to be a really good channel for us because people share it. We I did we did a uh, I did a byline article for a semantic white paper not too long ago, like a week ago, and people continue to reshare it and repost and recomment on this article I put out there. Um, and we've had a couple of you know, clicks, people coming in. Hey, I want to learn more. I'm like, that's that's awesome. So um, yeah, I, 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 I think events are a good channel. I think digital marketing is a good channel, but content marketing, I think sometimes. You see it more clearly because you know I'm clicking on that thing, or hey, because I read X, Y, and Z, I want to ask you a couple more questions. That's more visible. You go to an event, and you might see the person again at an event five months later, and they go, "Oh yeah," and then they come back to you. So it's a little content marketing is also easier to track generally, you know, gated or non-gated. And where, sorry, where is where is the content? Which channel do you find the most success with when you're posting? And I, by content, I, I think you're meaning more video content. No, I, mean, I think everything. We, we we do video content. We do actually have not done an, enough video content. We're going to be doing more of those. Um, the last time I was in Bulgaria, we actually recorded four videos with our product team. Uh, just you know, just doing short, short talking head videos because I think video is. I think it, I has, have seen it to be consistently sticky and engaging. Um, webinars, we're going to be doing more webinars, but as far as I, mean, I think it's a toss up between our digital marketing channel and LinkedIn, as far as the kind of engagement activity we're getting, uh, that seems to drive it the most, uh, pushing it out there and also just having our salespeople sometimes just take it, plop it in an email and share it, having a follow-up conversation. That's also helping because now people go, Oh, tell me more. And they come back to you with a, you know, the question. Yeah. No, uh, we, we've seen, I mean, on my personal channel, I don't sell any services per, per se, but I am building community. And what I found is ever since I started posting about my community, 
<laughs> I see you. Uh, are you about to cry there, Doug? No, I was recovering. I was, I was talking along with that, but the, the fire didn't sink in, and now the sink, the fire is sinking in. Oh. It is, uh, yeah. Um, if you can cry, I think we'll get like 15,000 yeah. views, like I mean, I minimum. Um, <laughs> just, just poke your eye. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> I was doing a lot of community stuff before I started posting on LinkedIn and it would be, you know, a struggle getting 50, 70 people in a room Man. or getting 50 people in a virtual room. Once I started posting and not even asking, I don't, I find that content on LinkedIn, you can't ask. If you ask, you're selling. Uh -huh. uh, th that is me personally. Some people, uh, this is a really hot take, but a lot of people say you got to ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. But LinkedIn content is more about supporting people and community. I find that is the use of, of LinkedIn. So when I, when, I po when I started posting about my community stuff and it's like just getting people together, we immediately started, we started, um, we're doing an event tomorrow, actually. Um, we have a venue. We used to, it used to take us a month to book out a, book out an event with 60 people. We got this done in four, three or four days. It, yeah. it, it increased the amount of uh, attention on our uh, events by literally 10 times. Hmm. And all that we're doing is just sharing. We're just sharing the purpose of the, of the hmm. events and also sharing who came to the events. That's it. And then if anyone wants to come, they just, they, they message, and, we've been getting a lot of attention that way. And maybe that's something, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, yeah, to your point, you know, LinkedIn being one of your top two channels, I totally agree with that. I think not enough companies are utilizing LinkedIn in the right ways. Um, so yeah, it's and, totally cool. And some of the strategies, like when I first came on board, one of the things I immediately did was update our LinkedIn, our LinkedIn, the, the Ontotext LinkedIn profile. <laughs> To put it into more easy to understand, more clear terms, I also have been harassing lately my sales team, change your profiles. Instead of saying account sales executive, tell me what you do. Unless you're looking for a job, which hopefully you're not, tell me what you do for me while I look at your profile and build stuff in that talks about the company, build links. You can actually link yourself back to you know, the Autotech website, for example. All these little, little, mm -hmm. little tweaks. Um, and using LinkedIn Sales Navigator, using LinkedIn Messages, looking at our subscribers, our followers. I mean, it's just, there's all these gold mines sitting there. And you talk about community. The other thing we're about to start doing um, is actually building a community. Our, 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 our core mm. product is called GraphDB. Um, mm. We want to create a GraphDB community that we, again, we, we help, we sponsor, we push it out there. It's not a selling one. We're not coming in to say, hey, buy. We want to get a bunch of GraphDB, you know, nerds, sorry, in a nice way, get together and start to share their ideas and best practices and things they've done because that helps them out. And we listen and we learn. We don't sell. And to me, that's, you know, I think LinkedIn is going to be a perfect channel for that because, again, you're sharing stuff that people want to know about and learn. They can decide to join. And it's not a sales activity. It's a, it's a learning activity. Yeah. You always hear the 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 all-time favorite quote like give 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 if give some more and then take right yeah this is the best way and when you run events where you just allow imagine you ran an event with 20 or 30 graph db like hardcore fans and you just let them network and talk about their business give them a floor to talk about what they're doing don't, say, don't tell anything about graph db or or what onto text is doing <laughs> They're gonna know who you are, anyways, and they're gonna they're gonna be so thankful for what you're what you have to offer. They might even reach back to you, or they reach back to you when they're ready. Yeah, and just keep giving until until you're ready to take. Yeah, that 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 has been my philosophy. <laughs> I learned so much from building this podcast and building these communities. Um, and you know, Stack Overflow literally built their two billion dollar business on mm -hmm. community. Right, community was has been their number one asset, number one tool. Uh, you think about any uh, other major companies, SAP has big, big, obviously they're a much bigger company, but they, when they started Salesforce, like when they had like Salesforce, for example, and all these other companies, it's all about community first. They do mm -hmm. community first and everything comes after, right? People, so people buy from and respond to people. I mean, it's an overused statement. Good Lord, I'm not the only person that's ever said it, but you know, if you, if you feel like somebody is engaged and cares and is facilitating a good conversation, you buy into it. If they come up with like 
hi, Doug, you may not know me, but I've got something to talk to you about. It's like, or you just turn, you know, click and go away. But if I say, yeah. I just want to learn from you and stop there. Yeah. 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 Or I have an event where you can sell your stuff to other people and I already have a hundred people in a room. You just yeah. come and free drinks, whatever, done, right? Sign me up. Well, and that, that's, that's like- I responded to your, you know, the invite for this originally because when the reading, when you guys, when you reached out, it wasn't a case of anything you're trying to sell me. It was a, it was a chance for me to be part of something that is interesting to me and to hear from other CMO type people. I'm like, yeah, that's selfishly, that's good for Doug. I get to learn more. It's good for Doug. Yeah. And like, who doesn't love Doug? Everyone loves Doug, right? That, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're here for. Duh. Duh. Doug. Um, all right. So before we jump out, we got a few minutes. Let's learn a little bit more about you. So yeah. obviously we know that you're a CMO of Autotize. You guys are doing some amazing, crazy things. What was like your, your background was, was interesting because you've been in marketing for like a long time, 15 ish, 20 years. And, but you've been in so many different, um, parts, departments, but all kind of touching marketing and sales and, um, and I don't know what other areas, but like so many other, um, you were also in like product marketing and, um, gosh, you're doing well, so many different things. I also ran a, an athletic, athletic study center, uh, you know, back when I was in, I worked in the education field for seven years before I came to business. So I've got a, I've got a very bizarre background that makes no sense how I've ended up where I am sometimes. It's crazy. When, when you look back in your career, like. What were some of the key things that allowed you to just no, no matter which position you went, you were in, you would always excel and you were always leveling up. Like what are some of the, your traits about Doug that, that, that makes it, um, that makes you so successful in your roles? Um, I think a, a constant sense of appreciation yeah. and I guess self, self amazement. And I'm not sure that's about how to say it any better, but, um, I, I'll, I'll give it a quick, very quick story. This is, 20-ish years ago, I was in a company called UCCNet, which they were standardizing barcode information. And I was out to dinner with the the C, the CIO, I think, of Mattel Toys Company. And, you know, I I mean, I was I was batting above my weight at that point. I was like, oh, yeah. And Big company. There, there was like a $300 bottle of wine, ridiculously expensive steak, and, you know, these nice meals, this nice restaurant. And he got up to go to the bathroom. I sat there and I'm like, Holy crap. What am I doing here? So, yeah, you know, imposter syndrome all over the place. Came back, we had a great conversation. We ended up making the sale, not, not just because of me, but, but you know, I was part of the process. And I remember that a couple of days later, I'm like, you had no idea what you were really doing there, but you went at it mm. with the right attitude. And you and I, I just mm. I decided like just enjoy the ride. And, that, and that's how I think I've been successful is that not everything is going to go my way. I've had a lot of ups and ups and a lot of downs. Um, mm. But I always just try to enjoy the ride and get the most out of it I can. I go back to learning. I mean, I'm, you know, if I get bored in a job, if I stop learning, I start looking for other opportunities because that means I'm, now I'm just doing a job. Yeah. I'm not enjoying the job. So I have this childlike enthusiasm to life in the last you know, 15, 20 years that you know, here's a new challenge. You know, well, Either I'm going to take it on, either I'm going to be successful or I'm going to fail. It's binary. And yeah. I want to enjoy success. So I'm going to take those little successes and enjoy it. How often do you, how often do you feel imposter syndrome nowadays? And, and what do you do about it when you feel it? Much, much less than I used to. Um, yeah. But it's still, and when, I, when, I, when I do, I just, and, and I'll make the parallel back to jujitsu. Because one of the things that the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teaches you is humility and how to survive in tough situations. We talk a lot about it. It's 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 becoming comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You got somebody who's trying to crush you, tap you out, choke you out, smooth smother you, and either you tap, which is also fine, or you learn to survive and get to, to a better situation. And so when I feel like that imposter thing, I'm like, You've been in worse situations, Doug. You've had guys trying to choke you out, or like your girls trying to choke you out. You've had, you know, three hundred pound people. Mostly girls. Well, yeah, mostly. I'm a wimp. Um, you've had people <laughs> slapping you, and you've survived it. So, yeah. 
I, I, I've kind of gotten to the point in my life where I look at where I am and I'm like, there's a reason I became a CMO. Not just because I wanted okay. to, but because people believed in my skills and my abilities and they continue to bring me back. So something's going right. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm never on the cocky side. I, I was cocky when I was a teenager. It was stupid. Now I'm more confident. Like, okay, I'm doing a lot of right things. I'm still learning every single day, though. That's so interesting that the first thing you brought up was imposter syndrome and like pushing yourself into uncomfortable situations. I think anything that you want in life is on the other side of feeling uncomfortable. Uh-huh. You got to get through that uncomfortable feeling to get anything you want in life. When early in my career, I was always comfortable all the time. That means you're not growing, right? Growth is uncomfortable. When you go to the gym, if yeah. you don't feel pain, you're not going to get bigger. You're going to stay where you're at, which is fine if you're if you're happy with that. But if you want to grow and if you want to become a better version of Doug, better version of Simon constantly, you're going to want to push yourself into, put yourself in uncomfortable situations and overcome it. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have mentors or people that you talk to when you're, when you're feeling the imposter syndrome to just kind of bounce idea and like, am I feeling, am I, am I, am I being dumb? Should I be feeling this? Am I, do you have people in your life like that? Uh, I've got, and at the risk of sounding cheesy, it's, it's quite real. My wife is probably my best, my best cheerleader annoying person, pesterer. I don't know if a mentor is the right word, but she, you know, she knows what I do and she understands it. She can explain mm. it sometimes better than I can. But sometimes mm. I'll come down, I'll talk to her, I'm like, okay, here's what's going on. And she'll, you know, she'll either tell me I'm being an idiot or, hey, I'm doing the right thing, bounce idea. And, and, you know, she she keeps me sane uh, most of the time. Uh, but yeah, she, <laughs> she is my, 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 my best asset, I think, for bouncing things off of. I've got other people that I've worked with over the years uh, I had a guy that I worked for. He was a CMO only three times. Twice he's worked for the CMO twice. Worked for him three different times. Uh, he was just that good of a guy to work with. Used to drive me nuts in the first six months working with him, but he made me a better person, um, a better work person. So he and I will text, we'll call every now and then. I'm like, hey, hey, you know, what's here's what's going on in my you know, any suggestions, any ideas? What have you done in this situation? Uh, he's a he's a fantastic, he's a good friend, but also a great mentor. And then I got people I've worked yeah. with, especially my last job. That you know that. Things we'll stay in touch with and just bounce ideas off of. I got uh, one of the guys that used to work for me, still calls me boss when we talk. I'm like, dude, you don't work for me anymore. You don't work for me in a year and a half. I'll get boss. I'm like, you know, he, 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 but I, I, he mentors, I, I mentor him, excuse me. So I get ideas from him at the same time because he's a pretty sharp guy. So it, I think when you surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and better at what they do than you might be, you get better. And people that can be honest to you. Uh, yeah, much preferred. How many people, that's why, so that's why they always say behind every successful man is a success, is a stronger woman or whatever, one of those lines. Yeah. Because who else is going to be as honest to you as your wife? Yeah, yeah. And if, especially if she understands what you're doing and she tells you straight up, Doug, that was dumb. Like doing that yeah. was not cool. Or that was amazing. Yeah, you know that it's coming from. The, you know it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah. It's like the the ultimate third party bystander watching you is your partner, your life partner. And a good example. I, 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 I'm gonna use an example because it'll help tie back to help explain knowledge graphs. By the way, we were talking on a drive one time. I was just trying to articulate some of my ideas, and so I came from the what was called the master data management world, which is where I used to be, and now in the knowledge graph space. I was kind of she was asking you know asking about it. And she said, "So here's an idea: is is master data management like the letters of the alphabet?" And knowledge graphs is like a sentence because it makes sense of the letters. I, I went quiet. We're driving along. We went totally quiet. I'm like, it's like, did I say something dumb? I'm like, I'm like, no. I'm like putting that in my brain. I'm like, damn, that's good. That's amazing. And I, yeah. she's not in the data management space, even vaguely, but she's listened to me prattle on about it for years. And she spit back, which, which is fundamentally a very easy sentence. I actually ended up incorporating that into a briefing document that I give to our teams when we go to events. But I would Amazing. I would never have thought about that if I hadn't talked to somebody different who, you know, poked things in a little different fashion. And to me, that's where it's so valuable. You know, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. I've been doing messaging and positioning for quite a long time. But anybody else can go, hey, have you looked at it this way? Or have you thought about these words? It's like Mind blown. Yeah. Well, way to bring it full circle, Doug. That was a, an amazing uh uh conversation. Really enjoyed it. Same, definitely. Before we jump 
before we jump out, um, how much money do you make as a CMO? More than I ever thought I'd make in my life. Let's do one last shot before we jump out. Appreciate your time, man. Yep. I'm going to do a little bit. Oh, I keep saying that, but oh my God. Cheers. Might as well pour off there. All right, Doug. Bad idea. I'm going to head. I'm going to head straight to the washroom. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Simon. This has been Thank fun. you so much. Yep, this has been uh, so much fun. Appreciate your honesty on the show. We'll ha- we'll have to do round two when you get deeper into Ontotex, and let's yeah. hear about all the amazing growth that you guys have been having. That'd be fun. Sounds good. Thank you. Well, guys, that's it for another spicy episode of Marketing on Mars. I'm really not sure who got burned more, my taste buds or the guest taste buds. My mouth is on fire. Real talk, though. If you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Each episode I make is basically an unedited raw dinner with some of the leading marketing voices. They tell us the truth or they take a shot of hot sauce. We're on almost every single platform. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and more. There's really no excuse. Until next time, Martians, keep it hot and keep it real.